MCU.html Reassembled is brought to you by the Cage Club Network for all things movies, media, TV, comics, music, and more. Check out the Cage Club Network at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. everybody i'm nico and i'm kevo and this is it this is the end of the road ladies and gentlemen we are three phases down six infinity stones three snaps handful of dead avengers a lot of big green dudes i keep forgetting that there were three snaps like i don't count hulks and tony's separately because like it's all the same crap yeah that was not a very like i mean i don't want to be like that wasn't a very effective snap because i've never done a snapping before but I feel like, I don't know, well, because I guess Thanos wasn't there to unsnap in Thanos, but I mean, like, next time just add, like, also kill Thanos to every snap. Yeah, yeah, you know? Never stop killing Thanos. Never stop never stopping. So, this is it. This is the moment we've all been waiting for. It's the end of the road, and still I can't let it go. It's just natural that I belong with Steve, and I feel like saying goodbye to him is hard. But it's a good thing, because I think one of the reasons that Captain America's retirement is a necessary step in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is because we've seen the comic universe marred by an inability to move forward and gain new heroes. Mm. Because the comic universe is kind of like modern mythology, and it's our new gods, we feel very attached to that mythos. And it can be very difficult to get people to accept a new pantheon. And it sure does happen every now and then. I mean, look at Deadpool, who only first came into being in the very early 90s. But at the end of the day, if Chris Evans does not hang up the shield, no one will ever be allowed to pick it up. And I'm really excited to look back at the last 23 major Marvel movies and look forward at the next, like, 13 huge Marvel projects that we're getting in the next, what, five years? Yeah. So we didn't want to just give you guys our opinions again. As much fun as we've had giving you guys our opinion for 51 episodes that we've loved sharing with you guys, we've had some guests along the way, and we've had an amazing audience, and we wanted to get your guys' opinions as well. So, in addition to our own rankings, we reached out to a number of our audience members and got their aggregate rankings as well. So, today's episode will be presented in the order determined by our audience. Made possible by listeners like you. So I think the best way to do this is to break it down into the segments it naturally falls into. Let's take a look at the bottom five. As voted by you guys, the least popular film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is The Incredible Hulk. Shock. I'm just, I'm just shocked. And what's more fun than that, this episode will include Joey, myself, and Kevo's lists. 
and all three of us have it in last place. So it made sense. I will be honest, someone did have this movie pretty high on their list in our audience reviews, but literally everyone else put it in last place. And I'd still love to hear defense of it. You know, I remember when we had Joey on to talk about his tops and bottoms, he like apologized to me for some of his, you know, I don't I don't begrudge anyone the films that they do and don't enjoy, but I'm fascinated to know why someone would rank The Incredible Hulk to be genuinely incredible. Well, from the biggest Avenger to the sometimes smallest, sometimes biggest Avenger, Ant-Man came in at number 22. This movie, it was one of those movies that I loved talking about because it really changed how I felt about it. At the end of the day, Ant-Man came in at 21 on Kevo and Joey's lists, but a nice bright 17 on mine. So good job, Ant-Man. You were originally my least favorite. Yeah, you know, my rankings like me are very nebulous. I don't know if I would always call this my 21, but it certainly is always pretty much in my bottom five. There were a lot of things about this film that were sort of clunky and awkward, especially to be placed between Age of Ultron and Captain America Civil War. I think the universe that it has since set up is great. I enjoyed the sequel. I would love to see more from them, but it's, you know, still one of the weaker corners of the MCU. I gotta be honest, I was surprised to see that Ant-Man came in 22nd because I had predicted what came in 21st would have. Thor The Dark World was voted the third worst film of the Marvel Cinematic Universe by you, our audience, despite Kevo's incredibly high placement of it at 13, my inclusion of it at 19, and Joey pretty much calling it right on the nose with 22. And you know, I understand what people find weak about Thor The Dark World. A lot of it is pretty inconsequential as far as the main narrative of the MCU goes. But it's just light fun. It's world hopping. It's Chris Hemsworth and Natalie Portman getting to develop their characters a little bit more. And especially knowing that Natalie Portman's Jane is going to be returning in such an enormous capacity soon. It pushed the ranking of Thor The Dark World much higher for me than it had been the first time I made this list before Endgame came out. And from one Thor appearance to another, the next film in our list at number 20 is Doctor Strange. This movie was one that I came into this not a big fan of. It ultimately fell at number 20 on my list. Kevo, I think you have it in a similar position. Yeah, it falls just outside of my bottom five at number 18, whereas for Joey, it ranks at number 12. Joey put this way higher than the rest of the audience, and I believe he's had a chance to talk about it a little bit here and there on the different episodes he's appeared on. I do see the merits of Doctor Strange as a character, especially in retrospect. I believe he was developed really well by the Russos and Benedict Cumberbatch working together to craft a really strong character. Character. I find Wong very handsome, and I would visually love to look at it again, so I'm excited for the Multiverse of Madness, especially because it gets my marvelous Wanda. Yeah, and I was going to say, uh, similarly to Thor, now that we know something really intriguing is coming from the Doctor Strange sequel, it bumps it up a little bit in my list 
interesting for sure. I talked about the episode on Jonah's ranking interview. The thing about this movie for us is it's mostly just like the first 45 minutes that we can't stand. A lot of the last hour or so of the movie is much more enjoyable, but they don't set up a very sympathetic character in Stephen Strange. It also feels unusually like a Marvel film not concerned with setting up a likable sequel. I feel like the Marvel movies like to drop in little things like, oh, what could be coming next for Doctor Strange? And this one was a little bit like death, blood, pain. And like, no, thank you. Yeah, no, I get what you mean. And speaking of sequels that brought death, blood, and pain, the fifth least loved Marvel Cinematic Universe film, rounding out the bottom five, is a movie I had at 18. Kevo, you have it at 17. Joey has it at 19, as does the audience. Iron Man 2 just sort of clunks in the bottom five. Not really one anybody felt strongly about. And I think maybe it gets a little more hate than it deserves. I think it's not good, but I don't know that it's quite as... It's almost like people think it's tastelessly bad, and I feel like that goes a little bit too far because it might not have any box of scraps! But it sure does have, I want my Bert. And I want my Bert is certainly box of scraps he is. It kind of feels along the same lines to me as Thor the Dark World or Ant-Man and the Wasp minus the necessary Quantum Realm stuff that was needed for Endgame. It's just sort of like a uh, in-between. It's, it's definitely a two. It is very much a two movie that is meant to just further the franchise not so much the story and i enjoy it because i enjoy the cast that's pretty much the best that i can say for iron man 2 the middle eight does not fare too much better for my precious avenger of thunder thor comes in at a rough number 18 with his debut film this was not a great start for the odinson i personally have this film at 13 while kevo and joey have it at 20 the audience has it at 18 kevo talk a little bit about why you keep this one so far down you know i have this thing about first seasons of things that i love the character don't tend to be who they grow up into who I generally love more than what they start as and Thor definitely suffers from that there's a lot of good in the film it's not that it's particularly bad but as I was going through my list I was like which of these movies are ones that I would be eager to rewatch, and which are ones that I would be like I gotta watch this one I think I enjoy Thor when I come to it but you know they're all so much lighter and more positive in Dark World and they are such interesting fresh takes in Thor Ragnarok that when I go back to the original after the fact I'm like oh right Uh, okay and what's really interesting is I'm sort of standing out here alone on my precious island of how much I love Thor but it would appear that Joey stands alone on Captain America the Winter Soldier or does he stand alone on it he has this film lodged firmly at number 3 whereas we have it at numbers 14 and 16 and the audience has it even lower at 17 I can't believe you have it two ranks lower than me I'm surprised by that I thought you liked this one way more than I did. But you like it so little that it doesn't really take a lot to like it a lot more. 
You know, Joey's number three doesn't really surprise me. I think the audience 17 surprises me more than anything. I know a lot of people really, really loved Captain America Winter Soldier. And when Joey was on to discuss his rankings, we even discussed, you know, he, what he loves about it is exactly what they were trying to do with it. So he saw what they were doing and appreciated it. It's just not, you know, my cup of tea, exactly. But I would still rank it, you know, decently. It's a lot of of characters that I really enjoy. It introduces Sam, who I love. And you know how I feel about Sam. I love Sam madly. Joey suggested perhaps if the title had been something different than saying it was about the Winter Soldier when the character barely speaks, I might have enjoyed the movie more. And I definitely agree with that to an extent. If the movie's title was more evident that it was all about the fall of Hydra and therefore its motivation was clearer, I might have more affection for the film. And I even get that, but I don't think I care about the title. I just don't think I care about the film. Like, I wish I could find a way to care, but it just... And I even know, like, the world loved it at the time, and they love it in retrospect. It just wasn't my favorite. And speaking of films that were not our favorite, the audience, back-to-back, in positions 15 and 16, have Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and Avengers Age of Ultron. Now, Guardians, I have at 14. Kevo, you have at 15. Joey has at 13. And the audience has at 15. I would say that Guardians does rest somewhere firmly than in the eyes of the media as a little bit lower down than halfway. I think that really sits in line with where Guardians has come to fit in the Marvel Universe. I agree, especially because at the time, Guardians was something bold and new and exciting, but now so many more Marvel films have experimented with that sort of absurdist slapstick alien humor that it no longer is the standout in that regard. You know, it it's funny, for me, the movies that came out in order were Thor the Dark World, Captain America, Winter Soldier, Guardians of the Galaxy, and Age of Ultron, and they were my 13, 14, 15, and 12, actually. And I think if Ultron was my number 12 for any reason, it was mostly just that it was an ensemble with characters that I liked. I still recognize all the things that I find problematic or unenjoyable about the film. I just try to pretend that that didn't happen. You know, this is the most we differ on any film, with our positions being 10 apart. Kevo has Age of Ultron, as he said, at 12. Joey and the audience have it at 18 and 16, respectively, but I clock it at 22. I would rather not sit through it again. I really don't enjoy it. I think very little about it works, because the film is representative of a transition period in Marvel's timeline, and I just don't think it serves anybody well. Every single person in it gives one of their least impressive performances by virtue of an unclear clear and unfocused film. I don't even blame Joss Whedon for wanting to make the film he wanted to make, and I don't necessarily know that I blame Marvel Studios for wanting to make the movie they wanted to make, but at the end of the day, they could not agree. The reconciliation of these two contradictory ideas resulted in a film that barely has more cohesion than the teams that created it. I mostly just don't like all the ham-handed family and parenthood and birthing metaphor stuff. If you cut all of that out and and made Age of Ultron like just a 90 minute movie, I would probably enjoy it a lot more. Well, speaking of family, our 14th movie on the list as voted by the HTML audience 
is Ant-Man and the Wasp. Now, it's really funny because the audience has it at 14. I have it at 15. Kevo, you and Joey have it at 16, which, you know, again, we're starting to see kind of like patterns emerge. Even if we all can't agree on Ultron, we can all kind of agree that this one was fun, but maybe a little boring. We can all agree that Guardians 1 was creative and revolutionary, and now it's sort of settled into a groove. And I think there is something to be said about the fact that this movie, sandwiched between so many bigger things going on around it, I know that the movies on either side of it are all in the single digits on my list, on your list, almost on Joey's list, on the audience's list. So this movie was packed in an era with a lot of major films, and then it just wasn't the movie we hoped for. What were your thoughts on seeing where Ant-Man and the Wasp fell into place? I'm honestly not surprised. Like you said, if you look at the movies that fall around it, Black Panther and Infinity War before, Captain Marvel, Endgame, and Far From Home after, all of those movies have earned over a billion dollars, whereas Ant-Man and the Wasp probably around like the 600 million zone, if my memory serves. It's just sort of middle of the road it's fun it earned its budget back but it's not gonna be a breakout hit and that's okay not every single marvel movie necessarily is you know the greatest thing you've ever seen in your life it doesn't have to be and from one recent insect movie to another although i know spiders are arachnids jesus no one like it's it's fucking super spider science so i think the point of my story is spider-man farfignugan is the most recent film and it comes in at number three I wonder if this is going to move given time. A number of these lists changed from when I initially asked for them to an update to include Endgame and Spider-Man Far From Home. So I wouldn't be surprised if Far From Home was a film that also either gained or lost positions based on the things that follow. Plus, just having time to sit with the film itself, I think, will change our perspective. As we talked about over and over again with our Spider-Man Far From Home episode, So much about the film and your perspective on it changes with multiple watchings. And I think that that is also going to affect rankings. I currently would not put it in my top 10, as that is how I was categorizing all of my films, the 10 and the 8 and then the 5. But I don't know. I think that that could potentially change over time. Well, let's talk about films that have changed over time. I'm going to be really honest with you. I maybe misspoke earlier when I said that the most we didn't agree on a film was Age of Voltron being 10 spots off. <laughs> Iron Man and Captain America. All right, so th- the audience has these two placed at number 11 and 12, respectively. I have Iron Man at number two. Joey has it at number five. I have Captain America at number 12. Joey has it at a crazy number 17. Kevo, you have Captain America at number nine. Hey, that's kind of near where I had. You have Iron Man at number 19? Yeah, I'm not sorry. Okay, well, explain yourself. Well, look, here's the thing. It was like 11 years ago at this point. There's transphobic jokes. It is suffocatingly heterosexual. They didn't have any idea where the MCU was going. There's a lot of things about it that are great. Don't get me wrong. And I love Robert Downey Jr.'s performance. And yes, there are so many great things about this movie. But once again, I was going through this and I was thinking about which movies I would want to watch like 
like over and over again and which ones I think I would potentially get sick of. You know, the world has gotten so much bigger since the first time Tony flew out of that cave. He said so himself. And I love the bigger world it has become more than I enjoy the essentially pilot for this whole series. For me, I think it's a little bit along the lines of how you feel about Age of Ultron. I find so much of the problematic nature of Ultron so much more abhorrent. I just kind of can't look past it. Whether it's the weird commentary on fertility or sort of the hyper obsession with the idea that a true family is a nuclear family. I walked away from Age of Ultron more bothered by its problematic nature. So I feel like Iron Man has joy. Iron Man has just sheer excitement and there is an idea and a hope for the future in Iron Man that is so rare in film that I think for me it's hard to imagine Iron Man any lower. So with the exception of the two aforementioned bug films, unbelievably, eight of the top ten are from the third phase. That definitely says something. I also want to point out that we have spent an awful lot of time talking about these films very recently. So I don't know how much more I have to say about some of them, but hey, this is what the audience felt, that these were the top ten. Kevo, going into this top ten knowing that four-fifths of it, 80%, is phase three, how does that make you reflect on the path the Marvel Cinematic Universe took? Looking at the fact that the highest ranking films are from within the last two to three years that tells me that they've certainly hit something that people are enjoying now more than ever so you know I'm not sure if I'm surprised or not but I'm certainly glad that it's a lot more of the recent movies that are higher ranked number 10 is the final solo Iron Man film Iron Man 3 this is a movie that love it or hate it it definitely got people talking. I had it at number 11. Kevin, you have it at number 10. Joey kept it at number 8. I would say this movie definitely makes sense where it wound up. Yeah, I know that it's not one of the more beloved. I just think it's fun in a much less depressing way than Iron Man 2. Plus, it's a Christmas movie, and who doesn't love that? Guardians 2, another one where I keep it at number 21. Kevin, you have it at number 22. Joey has it at number 2, and the audience has it at number 9. This is one we do not all agree on. No, certainly not. And I feel like we did discover that we had less of a ragey grudge against the Guardians franchise than we thought, but I do not feel like we walked away loving this movie. Yeah, pretty much. And from one space film to another, our number eight movie, as voted by the HTML audience, is Captain Marvel. Kevin, you had this at number three. I have it at five. Joey has it at 11. So Joey's the only one of us keeping it out of the top 10. I feel like this movie really did resonate with not just queer audiences and female audiences, but anybody who has ever felt treated less than. I'm really glad to see this movie thriving. Do you want to talk a little bit about why you have it at number three? You know, there's a few reasons. I really appreciate and relate to the character of Carol. I also just enjoy this character's powers. I think they're really cool and really fun and something that we haven't gotten from the MCU before. And, you know, I wonder whether that 11 might change once we have more from Carol because I think part of the problem is that we don't have a ton of Captain Marvel. In fact, she wasn't even named until the most recent Marvel film, technically. So it 
it's hard to root for and appreciate a character more when you don't have as much of them as you do of, say, Thor or Iron Man. I agree. We all did kind of bemoan the lack of Carol in Infinity War. And as she is one of the later characters to be introduced, it makes sense that there's not too much of her. But this next appearance on our list, as voted by our audience, has had a lot of screen time for how little he's been around. Spider-Man Homecoming comes in at number seven. I have it at number eight, so right around where the audience keeps it. Joey has it a little bit lower at number ten, but Kevo, you have it standing hard at number two. Was this just the PD Parker for you? Yeah, and specifically in a way that was more than Spider-Man Far From Home. It was fun, but it was sort of like the middle installment of High School Musical. They're over at the desert resort. That's not the same thing as them all being in high school. Like, Spider-Man Homecoming was a really fun high school movie that hybridized well with a really fun superhero movie. And it wasn't 100% for me, I'll be honest. There are, cer- there are certainly a lot of moments that I didn't love, but it was mostly just good fun. And from good fun to my number one. So the first number one on this list that we're going to come across, whether it's mine, Kevo's, Joey's, or the audience's, well, I guess the audience is going to have to be the last number one. Well, mine, everyone thinks my number one movie sucks. No, quite the opposite. Thor's highest ranking solo film, uh, Ragnarok, comes in at a kick-ass number six. I have it at number one. Kevo, you have it at number seven. Joey keeps it at an unreasonably low number nine. I'm kidding. Anybody can feel any way they want to feel about a film. For me, this movie exemplifies all of the magic of big mythology, and it put it in such an attractive package, and it gave us humor, love, depth. I maybe wish Hela got a little bit more screen time, but for what? I got. I was thrilled. Kevo, you don't seem to have Ragnarok too low down your list either. Honestly, the only thing that keeps Thor Ragnarok so low is how high my top seven is. I really love so many of the Marvel films toward the top of my list that it's it's mostly just a matter of I happen to like Spider-Man or Captain Marvel more. I think Thor Ragnarok is great though, and I'm looking forward to the continuing evolution of the character and that franchise with Thor Love and Thunder and seeing what could possibly follow. My tears. Now, I'm gonna make a weird statement. This next film is the highest appearing solo film as voted by our listeners. Now, I know Civil War is technically a Captain America film, but we've already decided it was misnamed, so it's fine. Black Panther comes in at a kick-ass top five position, and I think it truly deserves it. I keep Black Panther at number four. Kevo, you have it at six. Joey has it at four. There's no reason Black Panther should be out of anybody's top ten. You gotta be crazy. It, you had to be crazy. Numbers don't lie, man. And speaking of numbers that don't lie, we are at our second appearance of a number one film. I do believe the number one film of all time, as it were. Kevo, the audience voted Avengers Endgame to a strong fourth place. I have it in third place. Joey keeps it in sixth. Do you want to talk a little bit about why this is your number one? I mean, I always love a good season finale. I always have, probably always will. And this film gave me a lot of the things that I needed from an endgame, really. I don't know if it was perfect by any means, but I enjoyed an enormous portion of this three-hour beast. 
So before we take a stab at our top three, a quick recount of our films so far. At 23, we have The Incredible Hulk. At number 22, we have Ant-Man. 21, Saw Thor The Dark World. 20, Belongs to Doctor Strange. In position 19, we have Iron Man 2, followed by Thor in 18. 17 was Captain America The Winter Soldier, with Avengers Age of Ultron coming in at 16. 15 was The Guardians of the Galaxy. 14 was Ant-Man and the Wasp, with Spider-Man Far From Home, the most recent film to be released, coming in at number 13. 12 was Captain America The First Avenger. 11, Iron Man. Starting off the top 10 was Iron Man 3, moving to Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 at number 9. Number 8 gave us Captain Marvel, with 7, Spider-Man Homecoming. 6 and 5 were Thor Ragnarok and Black Panther back-to-back, respectively, with Avengers Endgame at number 4. Now, provided that you accept that Civil War really should have been an Avengers film, like we've said a trillion, billion, zillion, bagillion, billion times, the top four in their entirety are Avengers movies. The only one contestable, Captain America Civil War, comes in as our audience's number three. I have it the lowest at number nine, Joey has it at number seven, and Kevo, you have it at number five. Why do you think it is that the audience loves this one so much? I think because it was a better Avengers movie than Age of Ultron. I actually originally had Captain America Civil War at my number one before Endgame. And then we got Endgame where Avengers were nice to each other for a full movie. And so Captain America Civil War fell back down for me. Because that's really the thing that I enjoyed the most from it was the cavalcade of superheroes that were both used and introduced. I think there were technically more heroes heroes introduced in this movie than the Avengers movie that came before. It makes you feel kind of bad for Captain America that his narrative was so lost in his own movie, but you know, it makes you less sad for the crap ending he gets. I hear that. Now, for our number two, that's going to be Avengers Assemble. I keep it at number six. Kevo, you have it at number eight. And if you guys want to hear a really great explanation of why somebody would keep this movie at number one, check out the previous episode where Joey gives the rundown on why it is his number one. And you know, I think my feelings on Avengers Assemble better epitomize my feelings on Avengers Endgame than they could have at that moment, which is that, you know, it's really good. It's not that it's not great, but it's the first adventure of them all together. They're all being super awkward and uncomfortable and don't know each other. Whereas Avengers Endgame is this enormous cavalcade of heroes who have pretty much all worked together or with different variations of one another at different points coming together and that's really more my scene than the introduction of the team. Well then you and I were both kind of baffled I think by number one Avengers Infinity War. You keep that at number four. I have it at seven. Joey has it the furthest down at 15. I'll honestly say I was genuinely surprised that this did not fall further down further away from it. That it stayed above Endgame in the revised numbers was shocking to me. It's a good movie. It is not just a trailer but man I don't know that I would have kept this at number one. There's so little substance that isn't erased within itself. I am fascinated by the audience on this one. I don't think it's a bad choice by any stretch, but I'm really interested. I think it might have something to do with the fact that the introduction of the conflict of Endgame is universally exciting, but we don't all necessarily agree with how that incident was resolved. 
So that I think could potentially account for why Endgame would rank lower than Infinity War, but I'm not sure. And there you folks have it. The top 23 films as voted by you, the HTML listeners. So thanks. Of course, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is far from in the past. As a matter of fact, the Marvel Cinematic Universe seems to have more projects coming out in the very near future than perhaps ever. The first of which is Black Widow with a May 1st, 2020 release, which will in fact see the return of the recently deceased Scarlett Johansson's Natasha Romanoff, as well as several new characters. I've been pushing for Yelena Belova, and hey, here she is. We'll also have new characters Alexa. Mason and Melina and they've told us some strange little bits about it like it's going to be set after Civil War we're going to see Natasha return to Budapest we're going to see the, the debut of Taskmaster and I'm excited for those things but I guess I feel cheated that the Natasha movie is going to come after her death I think it's great that they can play around with the narrative and jump around and tell different stories at different times. And I really appreciate that they recognize it rather than saying, well, she's dead and now she can't have a movie. But I definitely 100% agree. Are we going to get more Black Widow prequels after this if this one does well? I don't even know. I also think it's important to note that this film will be the second Marvel Cinematic Universe film to have a female director. This is also the second Marvel Cinematic universe film to star a female hero in the titular role so i think it's a smart move on marvel's part and then they're continuing the trend immediately by having the next film that comes out the eternals in november of 2020 also be directed by a woman and have heavily featured female leads in angelina jolie and selma hayek it's important to note this is even a woman of color and that's massive they are really trying to see the broader picture of diversity and representation. I think the very large names in Eternals is going to cast a very critical eye to it, so they better get this one exactly right. They're not going to be given the Thor learning curve that Thor was given just for having Rene Russo and Anthony Hopkins. I think the Eternals is also a Jack Kirby creation. It's a bit on the strange side, so I'm just not sure how this one's going to shake out, but I'm excited to see what it does yeah they've said that they were looking to have an openly gay male lead character in this movie i haven't heard anything more about it recently but i guess we'll see whether or not they commit to that promise and speaking of promises they made in terms of honoring diversity we have shang chi and the legend of the ten rings which i'm, I'm baffled i can't believe they're actually going back to the mandarin but they're doing it with care and precision, setting it around an Asian hero with, with a focus on avoiding Asian stereotypes. And if I'm not mistaken, the director is also of Asian descent, is he not? Yes, he is Dustin Daniel Cretton. I'm not sure how you pronounce that, so I'm just going to pronounce it the way that Randall says Cretan in Monsters, Inc., and hope that that's okay. I know you and I had been baffled that not only would they try to return to kind of the mess of Iron Man 3, but to the incredibly offensive Asian stereotypes that the Mandarin represented when he'd had less than a hundred appearances through that point in actual Marvel Comics history. So this is really shocking, but I'm really excited to see Marvel 
Marvel do this with the sort of inclusion and diversity they need to? You know, one of the writers of Iron Man 3, Drew Pierce, was asked recently what he thought of this reveal about Shang-Chi and the introduction of a quote-unquote real Mandarin and whether he was offended by having his work erased. And he was like, I'm, I'm not. We even acknowledge that it's not the real Mandarin in the same way that this character would be. And I think it's an incredibly expansive universe. And I think it's really great that you have actual Asian creators working on this project to make sure that you don't represent the character in a way that would be offensive to them. So then we get the thing that I'm just, my heart, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, give me Wanda. Give me Wanda, give me Wanda. I am so excited about this. Wanda is going to be in a Doctor Strange movie. So they should just call it Wanda and the Doctor Strange movie. This was definitely, I think, for me, one of the biggest surprises of SDCC. The inclusion of Scarlet Witch in the Doctor Strange sequel. I don't think anybody really saw that coming and learning that it's going to tie into her Disney Plus series as well is very exciting. I think May is a strange time to choose to release the first ever scary MCU film. But, you know, that's fine. I'm here for it. And speaking of women getting their turn in Marvel Cinematic Universe films, obviously, all I've wanted to talk about for weeks now is the amazing Jane Thor. Yes, this was without a doubt, in every regard, the biggest reveal of SDCC. Not only Thor 4, more Thor, not only is Valkyrie returning for this sequel and seeking her queen, no, no, Natalie Portman, after last being seen as deleted footage, will be returning to the MCU to play Thor. I really didn't see this coming in any way, shape, or form. I would have bet money on so many other projects to come out of the MCU before this one, honestly. Without a doubt, this is such an incredible gift, and evidently it's a case of the comics directly inspired the director. Taika Waititi focused on the Jason Aaron run while directing Ragnarok and was really blown away by the incredible work that Aaron and Russell Bowderman were doing with Jane Thor and the unworthy Odinson, two distinct characters that coexisted in a beautiful way to craft a powerful narrative. I am very excited, but I'm not just excited about films. I believe I also get to be excited about some uh, TV shows. Kevo? We don't get to be very excited anytime soon, which is really breaking my goddamn heart. The first of the Disney Plus Marvel TV shows that will be coming out is The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which is currently slated for a fall 2020 release. Um... I'm mad. I'm real mad. I wanted it sooner than that, but it's definitely got Anthony Mackie, Sebastian Stan, and a surprise return from Daniel Brühl as Helmut Zemo, who will be sporting a beard and the iconic hood of the character. Ah, give me! And apparently, recent reports are saying that the government is not necessarily thrilled with the fact that Steve chose to pass the shield on to Sam. So we are going to see how that goes down. And I also think they're doing a beautiful job blending where these shows kind of tie in. I feel like Cap's narrative at the end of Avengers Endgame directly gave us Falcon and Winter Soldier. And I love knowing that the WandaVision series is going to feed directly into the Doctor Strange film. I am so excited for so many reasons about the WandaVision series that will be released in spring of 2021. I'm excited to see more of Wanda. I'm excited to find out how 
how Vision could be included. And I am beyond thrilled and confused that this is where we will see the debut of an adult Monica Rimbau played by Tayona Paris. I have no idea how that's going to go, but I'm really excited, especially knowing that this is a character that we could see debut on Disney Plus, who would then potentially translate over to a major motion picture if she were to be in the Captain Marvel sequel. What if... Hmm. What if that happened? Hey, isn't What If the name of a show coming to Disney Plus? No, for real. What If is a classic comic concept where they would take the, hey, you know, what if that happened instead kind of idea? There's some very obvious ones. What if Jean Grey had survived? What if Electra had survived? There's tons of them. But the ones that are always really fascinating aren't just what if the female hadn't died. Sometimes they are what if the female got to have real power. And it appears that not only is Marvel going to bring What If, the popular comic anthology title, to television shows, but it's going to be the first Marvel Cinematic Universe animated show featuring What If Peggy Carter Became the Super Soldier in the first episode. I believe they're also going to have major talents come back, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, various MCU actors are currently slotted to reprise their roles, and especially with the evident introduction of a multiverse into this franchise this brings into question how much of this what if concept will necessarily potentially translate into future canon a lot of people are already speculating and wondering about things like that people are even parsing the logo of the show and looking at the incredibly minute detail that is used to see if they can glean any potential details about what might be in this series one thing i even just noticed is that on the t of the word what it would seem you can almost make out the chest of captain britain i mean it might just be what if it was like a union jack of some kind but you know i don't we don't know anything about how this will translate as far as the films all we know is that the watcher will be played by the actor Jeffrey Wright. So I guess we will we will see. Something that we do know is absolutely going to be directly affected by the multiverse introduced by Avengers Endgame is the spring 2021 released show Loki, which it that is just a god-awful logo that they have for that show. I'm sorry. It looks like they took a letter from four different logos and just put them all together. Maybe there's like a purpose to that. I I, I don't know. We've already seen some images, as if we've mentioned on the show before, Loki walking through New York in the 1970s with a Jaws marquee in the background. It has been confirmed that this is the Loki that we saw escape with the Tesseract in the bungled New York 2012 timeline. You know, I wonder exactly what their plan for this guy is. Is this how we're going to potentially get Loki back to the main timeline? Will he be able to jump? Will he return home at the end of this? Who knows? I hope that Loki stays, but perhaps not Tom Hiddleston. Other iterations of Loki have existed in the comics and they are quite beloved, so it would be really exciting to see Tom Hiddleston pass off the torch in this show to another iteration of Loki, perhaps one that could play nicely with Jane Thor. Especially because of the final Disney Plus show that was finally confirmed at SDCC, which will be coming out in fall of 2021, a Hawkeye series starring Jeremy Renner that will introduce Kate Bishop as well as exploring his time as Ronan during Endgame. So it really does seem as though they are looking to introduce the Young Avengers 
I don't know how many of them. I don't know exactly if they will all end up coming together, but I think a Loki Disney Plus series to lead us into a young Loki to work with the Young Avengers would be a pretty smart move. The only other major announcement to come out about the MCU at SDCC without any confirmed date was the reveal that Mahershala Ali will be playing Blade in an upcoming Phase 5 film. The Daywalker! Along with that, we will also be seeing Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, Black Panther 2, and Captain Marvel 2. We also know that Tom Holland is definitely contracted for more appearances as Spider-Man, but there is no sequels currently slated. When Kevo and I started this project, and by this project I mean watching the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I never could have imagined. I knew I was going to marry him already. We'd been dating, and I loved this man, and I loved these movies, and I knew I wanted to marry the man and the movies, and little did I know that he would come to love these so much that we would be talking about them like this. I never imagined. And it's been such a weird ride getting Marvel Netflix, which we all thought was going to be the everything, and then it was critically brilliant, and then it stopped being so brilliant, and then it got canceled, and there was S.H.I.E.L.D., and there were the one shots and it's been a weird roller coaster but i've had a really great time talking about these movies in this universe and trying to figure out this big over-the-top experience that marvel is trying to present superhero story at a time you know the thing that you have to recognize about the marvel cinematic universe is that this is something that has never even really been attempted before let alone successfully accomplished and making more money toward the back end than it ever saw at the beginning. When these movies started, the landscape of storytelling, of films, of media presentation was so unbelievably different than it is now. And it's amazing that they have managed to successfully navigate multiple superhero franchises interwoven together like this to the point where it's just... You know, we take for granted, oh, the next few Marvel movies. You know, this isn't something that I necessarily could have imagined we would ever see when we were kids, let alone when we were young, when we were much younger adults. And, you know, it's not perfect. Obviously, any movie or movie franchise is not going to be perfect. But to have gotten through 23 films so successfully, even for all the hiccups and foibles, you know, it's really amazing. And I've had an amazing time talking about it with you, Kevo. And until next time, when we trade in our Quinjet for the Nostromo. Where can everybody find you online? You can find me on Twitters and Instagrams at Kevoreally, K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y, or you can find me on the Facebook page for this lovely show, Husbands Talking More or Less, at Official HTML. You can also find me producing and posting super cool, super fun, super inclusive superhero stories with our team over at KidRiotComics.com. Nico, where can the folks find you? You can find me all over this network on shows like X's for Podcasts with two distinct streams, one where we take a look at the 80s expansion of the Uncanny X-Men comic book franchise, and another with our eyes keenly turned toward Jonathan Hickman's House of X and Powers of Ten. You can also find me on Now and Again, talking pop music with my childhood best friend, Chris Podcasts. Don't forget to check me out on Facebook making my own music over at facebook.com slash action duo as well as the aforementioned Kid Riot comics like Kevo said. Don't forget to check me out on Instagram at Nico Action N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N and until next time we'll see ya. I don't have a noise for Alien yet but I'll work on it. (laughs) 